Welcome back to Avowedcast. This is the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. We're not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but would gladly offer them our copy of Cyberpunk 2077. Free, no questions asked. Really, please take my copy. Please. My name is Sora, and I will be today's host as we talk about religion in video games and specifically how religion is handled in the world of Aora. I'm joined by fans from all over the world as we tackle such a non-controversial topic. So sit back and enjoy. You were born of my worshippers in the white that wends. You are mine to claim if I so choose. All right, welcome to Avowedcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We have quite a few people who are going to be part of the discussion today. Our goal today is to talk a little bit about uh, religion and video games and then kind of lean our focus towards uh, the world of Aora and how gods and religion is handled in that world. Um, I'm your host, Sora, and I'm joined today by uh, four other amazing people. So let's get started with uh, Parenthesis. Parenthesis, uh, what have you been up to lately? Well, um, some time ago, I, I actually ha had a playthrough of the Outer Worlds by Obsidian. And uh, I actually found it to be, uh, it's a good RPG, it's not great. But I really like the story in it so much that it, it kind of reminded me, me uh, explained to me why the story of, of New Vegas uh, Sound resonated so well with me because it feels like it's it, it comes kind of bottom up. Of course, it's not how they made it, but but it feels like that instead of instead of uh, top down uh, that which I assume where every story is made. But but this one feels more natural. Also, it helps that there isn't a big bad uh, evil guy at the end of it who wants to become a god or something like that. Did you try the uh, any of the DLC? Uh, and and that had exactly the same feel of it. Uh, I thought there's only one out right now. It's the um, Terran Gorgon DLC, <laughs> which had the wonderful. Uh, um, they don't have intros as such. They don't have full motion video, but they have a kind of, a, I believe, a still where there is uh, a in-game uh, D and D pastiche called. Uh, I think it's uh, servers and serfdom or something like that, which follows the usual uh, pastiche of, of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and, and it's great and it's, it's good. Well, not great. It's, it's a good game. It's a really good, good, solid game that obviously took a lot of effort. And it feels like New Vegas Light, but in a, in a very good way. Yeah, I totally agree. I like that game as well. I haven't played the DLC yet, but uh, I like the original game. I have it on the Switch and the um, Xbox. So, uh, Kiwi, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome aboard. What have you been up to? Oh, uh, thanks. Um, I'm fine. Uh, I actually haven't been playing that much, uh, to be honest. I, I've gotten to reading some fantasy books instead. Um, so I think the last game I played was, um, uh, was the, uh, actually I forgot the name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that memorable? No, Disco Elysium. No, it's a very, oh, that's a great very, game. Yes. It's very memorable, but, uh, yeah, cool. I guess that's that. <laughs> All right. Um, we have, uh, laser. 
uh, joining us or Lazar. Sorry. It's fine. Hi. Hello, Hi. everyone. Uh, you're new. What have you been up to? What have you been playing lately? So I've been, I've actually purchased uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 lately. And not oh, because excellent. of the podcast, mainly, but, but because, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been wanting to do it. It just never went on sale uh, in the PlayStation store. And I only have a PlayStation. But, uh, but I've, I've acquired a, a copy through Amazon now, which was a little bit, it's something that, it was something that I could afford. It wasn't full price. So I was happy about that. And yeah, I'm really enjoying the game. Uh, you know, it follows up on, on the first on the first one. You know, a bit different. Like the, the, the style is very different. For example, you know, different kind of music works, you know, different kind of scenes, lighting, stuff like that. But, you know, the overarching, overarching uh, thematics are still there and I, I love it. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a bit different, but also quite a bit more. I don't know if polished is the word, but uh, just maybe a, a little slightly more mass appeal and easier to digest. I don't know if that's the way to say it. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, and I actually like it. I actually like it that way because, uh, you know, for example, as you've already mentioned in, in this podcast, um, I, I also have to say that the the camping system in the first game was just a chore, and and I, I love I love the fact that it's it's uh, it's gone now, you know, and yeah. everything that everything that comes with it, uh, you know, the the spells, uh, for example, on wizards and druids, uh, now you know it's just the gameplay the, the gameplay is just in general much more dynamic this way. And I, I think it's for the better. I agree. I, I even said in the earlier podcast, I know a lot of people are intimidated by the first one. And I do think that the first one, the difficulty at the beginning of the game is, for a variety of reasons, is is pretty steep. I think Pillars 2 is maybe a little bit easier entry. However, of course, you're missing uh, some of the key story elements from the first one. But if you're intimidated by the first one, don't be afraid to jump into the second one, I guess would be my message. Definitely, yeah. Um, so we also have another uh, new person joining us today, and that's uh, Gingerino. How you doing, hey. Gingerino? What have you I'm, been playing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I've, well, so I just came out of peak christmas season because i deliver for ups so i haven't been able to play a lot uh but what got me through that whole busy season was the game hades which i've been playing on switch and yeah that, that, yeah that that's a good been, one it's been so good to just have something that i can pick up when i get a little bit of free time and just pick away at it i've always been satisfied whether i play 15 minutes or four hours yeah, and it's crazy that that's kind of an indie title. I mean, and it's gained such a claim. I know it. I like it. It's absolutely crazy how good of a job they did. And even though I've been playing for so long, like I still keep getting new pieces of dialogue that are reacting to the things I'm doing. And I just, I think Supergiant did a great job. So. Yeah, I mean, well, game it got nominated for Game of the Year, which alongside you know like uh, The Last of Us Two and some other ones, that's a huge honor for them. Yeah. I mean, they're on the stage right now. Um, me, myself, I have actually been playing, um, I have a X, new Xbox. I was able to get the Xbox Series X. Um, I finished Pillars 1 again for the second time on the Switch. Um, 
and it was, wasn't the, I wouldn't say the best experience. There's still some bugs there and it's still a little awkward to play on a switch, but I went to the Xbox and tried Assassin's Creed, the new Valhalla game. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I think it's very similar in gameplay to like a Skyrim. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know that it's elevated to that kind of iconic status, but it's it's definitely fun. I like the, the elements of history in it, and I do enjoy uh, the exploration aspect of it, which is something in games I love, being able to just explore. Sometimes I don't want to dig into the story, and sometimes I don't want to, you know, go into the heavy stuff. I just want to walk around, and, and it's one of those that's a lot of fun to do it with. So I'm enjoying that one. Um, and then on the Switch, um, I've been playing just a, uh, a couple of uh, little indie games. I can't even remember the names of them right now, but now that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, thanks, guys, again for joining me today. We're going to jump in. Um, I thought that it might be interesting for those people, as, we're, as the focus of our podcast is preparing for Avowed, Obsidian's release, which, again, we are unsure of, but more than likely is going to come out in 2022 or 2023, if we're being hopeful, maybe even sooner. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, there's only so much we can talk about, but we can talk about the world. And Aora is a world that's been well-crafted and well-developed through the Pillars of Eternity games. And religion has been a central element of that game. And to such an extent, as many listeners know, that it's been slightly controversial, too. Um, if you look at the forums and people who've played through the first game and have experienced that, some have some very strong opinions. Um, and we'll try to touch on those in, uh, in the best way we can today uh, without throwing shade towards anyone, of course. But uh, we wanted to start with a more general approach, and we kind of wanted to jump in and, and talk a little bit about religion and how it is used in world building in games that we've played in the past. Um, and I have a couple that I'm gonna just run down. Um, and if you've played any of these or have any feedback on any of these, let me know. And then I'll throw it over to you guys if, if there's any that I didn't list or that I missed. These are just a few that I've experienced. Um, and these are some of these are really off the beaten path, but some you know very well. Um, everything from uh, the uh, the Founders, which is from Bioshock Infinite, that was kind of based loosely on the Founding Fathers of the United States, but they became worshipped like gods. And I think the guy's name was Zachary Comstock, who was like considered the prophet in the game. Um, and that had a, a general overtone of religion to it. Um, the Order, you better remember them from Silent Hill. Um, that was a doomsday cult um, that believed in the incarnation of God that will destroy the world when she is born to build an eternal paradise, uh, as they would say. And I'm gonna sacrifice this name. I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna do a horrible job at it, but it's like Los Illuminados was from Resident Evil 4. Um, that was a cult, a religious cult um, developed in rural Spain. Uh, they kind of kidnapped the president's daughter, infected her with a parasite, yada, yada, yada. Um, but basically, it was this idea that you had to fully accept through mind and body uh, this belief system in order to join or, or become part of it. Um, I, it's kind of a trend here a little bit in that these are all cults. There's another cult. If you guys remember um, Fallout 3, it was the guys who worshipped the atomic bomb. Uh, Children of Adam. Yes. 
Yes, they worshipped the giant atomic bomb in the center of town and believed something like that the universe would be released uh, from inside of the bomb or something like that. And that was a that was an interesting. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, has anybody who blew up the city? Anybody well, here play that game? Yeah, I mean, well, I did blow up the city in a second playthrough, but not my first. There you go. <laughs> um, I did totally. Uh, it was just really interesting. Um, there's the brother of Nod, which was a an old reference to the Command and Conquer series. The the kind of semi resurrected Kane, or not really, but kind of. They were militaristic, but also religious. Um, another one that's really interesting was military is the Covenant from Halo. It's kind of a military brigade, but the thing about the Covenant, if you dig deep into the Halo series, is they had this unifying belief in this group called the Forerunners, and they were a superior race from thousands of years ago. Um, they could transcend the physical world and become divine. That was the idea behind it. It was basically intelligent and noble people who believed in justice and um, again, slightly a militaristic. So, so far, we've been, one of the ones I've been talking about are crackpots, which is the Church of Adam, and then uh, cults, and then um, military. It seems to be a theme, at least for many of them. There's the Yamatai followers from Tomb Raider, um, uh, Epsilon program from GTA V. Uh, but the big ones for me, those are all like, I think those are, I would, and I would argue that all those are kind of tacked on and semi-religious. I think the big, the big hitters for me, at least from my experience, come from Elder Scrolls and from Dragon Age. Um, and in Elder Scrolls, we have basically these, this concept of the Daedric princes um, that are worshipped like gods in this whole Daedric pantheon. Um, and then, of course, in Dragon Age, you have the Chantry of Andraste. Um, you know, the song, uh, the night is long and the path is dark, yada, yada. Um, they believe in the maker who created the world and all of life. And the maker spoke evidently to a woman named Andraste to spread the teachings. They burned her at the stake and the maker got ticked off and humanity has to prove itself worthy again. But those two, I feel like, are probably the closest to uh, a religion that is not seen as cultist well, yeah, it's not seen as cultist and is not seen as militaristic necessarily. Um, did I miss any big ones? You guys think of any games you've played that you think has an interesting take on world building and religion? Yes, uh, can I go? Yeah. Uh, I think, and I know I sound like a broken record, but but the game set in Glorantha, that is to say King of Dragon Pass and uh, Ride Like the Wind have an, an interesting take because they're, they're, in Glorantha, the gods uh, are, are absolutely 100% verifiably real, and but they also have a very social component in that different tribes have different uh, religions and different pantheons. They all agree that the others exist, but of course they all say, well, th those over there, they are inferior to our. They are either too orderly or too messy or so on and so forth. And it's, it's incredibly... And, and one, one thing that's very interesting about it when you begin to dig into it just in the games and the compendium that comes with the games is how, how messy and contradictionary it is, but in a way that makes sense. It's, it's one place to say, go, well, well, things that happened always happen and always will happen, but we can also change them. 
and this is bad because that invites chaos, but you can. And someone says, oh, well, then we can do it. And, and that can give our nation an advantage. That's so uh, It's like the idea of fate, kind of. Is that what you're, is that what they were getting at? And that you could, fate is there, but you can also maybe change it? No, more like, and, and I know this sounds strange, it's more like you have a concept called the God time that happens always, all the time. And that in, the, in that time, the myths are replayed again and again. We see that there is a, there's a god called Olenth who slays a god called Yelm, and that happens all the time. And you can tap into that, um, into that because all the time because it happens. But you can also change that myth if you really, really wanted to, and that is a bad thing because then the universe begins to get messy or more like it, it gets chaotic in a real, real bad way. That's fascinating. I, I love the sound of that one. That's something I need to look into. Um, anyone else got one they want to throw out? Actually, yeah. Uh, my I think the one that sticks out for me would be one of the DLCs for Fallout New Vegas. Is uh, well, which What's the one where you go to Zion? Honored Pass. Yeah, Honored Pass? That's the one? Yeah. I like where you're, you have this character, Daniel, and another character, Joshua, and they're both representing two different sides of the story of this DLC. Oh, and you're, yes, yes. Yeah. You're oh, trying to that's decide. a good one. Yeah, isn't it? Like, it's interesting because they really bring, they don't bring religion like right in front of you and shove it in your face. But if you pay attention enough to it, you can tell it's it's behind the scenes of everything. And you're trying to basically decide, well, does do we follow Daniel's path and the way of peace and not fight back against these people who are invading or do we go with joshua's path where we fight back against them and they're both kind of coming from the same religious standpoint but they're reaching different conclusions and i just i think it's a great way of engaging with it and not in the the typical negative fashion i would say right exactly um anyone else kiwi uh gingerino you guys have any memories of religion from games uh well i can only think of um what you already mentioned the elder scrolls and dragon age like these were the two games for me that you know i i played a lot uh growing up and um you know i thought about the the religious uh thematics in in those games and i i just feel like they represent like two ends of a spectrum perfectly where um you know the religion in Elder Scrolls is like, you can tell that, you know, the video game makers were like, you know, what would be fun? You know, what would be cool if, you know, if, if there was a God that did that and sort of, you know, so, so, so it's, uh, it's really, you know, uh, focusing on, on the fun element of things. And then, you know, in, in, in the world of Thetas, in the Dragon Age games, it's, it's rather, you know, how could, how really, uh, how a religion could have really developed. Of course, um, you know, th there are some, uh, there are some similarities with, you know, uh, real life, real life uh, uh, religions, but, but, you know, maybe that, that's also one of the, uh, one of the reasons why, because, you know, it's a, they were really going for, for imagining in a world and then try to, and then try to build up that world as realistically as possible, and religion is a big part of that. And I think that they are they are, they are two different sides of the spectrum. 
Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, and about the way that they, the time they spent with that whole series of kind of fleshing that out, I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that kind of brings up a question in my mind, and I'm curious what you guys think, and you just jump in if you want. But is so it seems like they're, uh, you know, Gingerino kind of hinted to this a little bit, and that sometimes you, when they, world builders come up with religion in the games um i think sometimes they lean towards that negative side and i wonder why that is and the the militaristic the cultist the 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 quote unquote bad people or bad guys um it seems that that seems to be a heavy thing is that not true um, yeah i have a take on this like from my own point of view it I, I actually don't pay a lot of attention in video games when it comes to religion. I mostly look at it from the uh, world building side. Like, uh, do you have deities? What kind of magic do you have? What's the supernatural things that you have in the game? And when you have the religions, is there? I want it so that they are supposed to be a, a good part of their all uh, world building. That they are uh, like logical cohesive thing like entities there and not just placed as okay we need to have some religion guys we are going to make these uh nasty dudes over here but actually be a logical part of the all all right so they're not just slapped on that's another problem is having religion that is kind of oh well we need a religion because that's on the bulleted list and let's do it um but put more thought into it maybe um, which I think is another thing. Credit to Dragon Age; they did they did a lot of that. I think that religion can be skewed negatively a lot in games, simply because, like, from a creative and narrative standpoint, if you're trying to build up an antagonist, one of the easiest and effective things you can do is you got this group of people you want to make them radicalized. You know, you make it part of a cult. It's something that fits narratively a lot, I think, and it fits really well into the antagonistic side. So I think it's just. I don't sometimes know if it's, it's lazy. Uh, yeah, it, sometimes it is lazy. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, it's 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 odd. Um, I do am curious as to say if in world building, it, you know, how, how is it better for a world builder to take inspiration from from religions that are now in our world right now that have been have fleshed out for years and years and kind of either either mimic it in a way or or parallel what what that religion is, it's kind of like in some of, you know, they did that in Elder Scrolls with Roman and Greek pantheons. They kind of, where they represent concepts of states of being like madness, ambition. Um, is it better to do that? Or is it better to just fly by the seat of your pants and just do your own thing? Um, I think that it's inevitable because um, like it's inevitable to, to use uh, concepts from like real re religions because um these concepts came to be f for a reason you know they kind of reflect the way we see the world and so um when we make something up when we have an imagined world in our heads um you know we, we don't we don't stray away uh from from you know uh from the way we see the real world you know that's why we were trying to create an imaginary world to kind of make parallels to the real world so i think that um 
you're not gonna be able to create create uh, create like gods um, that are not represented in any you know religions already like in the real world. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Actually, I think you're even subconsciously sometimes you're affected yeah, by yeah. what you know or what you've studied. Anybody else have any input on that one? Um, and ever ever when you're uh, writing a fantasy or doing these video games or just making anything up, you always have have a real world reference or some model after which you do that this stuff. Otherwise you can't grasp the concept so easily uh, it doesn't have to be like uh, like really close to something it's just or you could uh, like you can make a lot of stuff up to be honest and some some games or some book fantasy books really do uh, make really interesting stuff but uh, most 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 of the games i think take religions from the real world world yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I So I wanted to, we, we've addressed that a little bit and, and talked about world building and religion and, and kind of how that seems to be hand in hand with development of uh, culture or world is you got to, you, you, you feel a need to come up with their belief system of some sort. Um, but we want to jump into maybe a little bit more of what our podcast is about, which is the world of Aora and the uh, concept of religion in Aora. So before we, before we start talking about that, I will just put a little warning out there for listeners. Um, we are going to spoil things um, because inevitably you can't talk about this culture, this world, the, the, the idea of the gods. We can't discuss it without addressing some things that aren't really revealed until the end of the first game or near the end of the first game. Um, and, uh, so if you're worried about that, you may want to pause and, and jump ship, but if you've played, or if, if you're not concerned about playing those games and you're just looking to get into avowed when it comes out and learn about the world, then stick around and, and listen to what we have to say. We have some experienced players here who have a lot to talk about and have a lot to share about what they, they learned and what they know about this world. Um, so I guess, um, there's a number of ways we could approach it. Um, but I thought before we jumped into kind of a historical lesson about what is uh, happening, that we I wanted to bring up a couple of quotes that I found um, that I thought were super interesting. And the reason I thought they were interesting is because they came from Josh Sawyer. And both of these quotes were taken from uh, him interacting with either reporters uh, or fans uh, through Twitter. And both of them have been time-stamped after the release of Pillars 1 um, and kind of in talking about religion in the games a little bit. Because um, I never really knew uh, Josh Sawyer, who, of course, was was heavily involved in in the first and second game and development and leading that, that charge, um, and also is a, a huge liberal arts guy, very well-read, uh, brilliant, um, and has a lot of very strong opinions. Um, so one, one case, this is one case where he was asked by, uh, a reporter, uh, about his belief system and how he used it to shape, uh, the use of religion and gods specifically in pillars of eternity. So this is what he said, and this is his quote, not mine. This is directly from him. He says, I believe there are no gods and was not raised by any religious tradition whatsoever. 
but it's virtually impossible to study medieval or early European history without learning a fair amount about Christianity as well. And at one point, I considered getting a degree in religious studies uh, to complement my BA in history. But, well, I was a bad student and a bit lazy. Um, he goes on, though, in another uh, conversation where he was talking to uh, fans, and this was through Twitter, a Twitter uh, re re kind of going back and forth, where they were talking about uh, Middle Ages specifically and about uh, the belief systems during that time and how they may have influenced Pillars of Eternity. And this is interesting. He goes into something called interactionistic dualism, which I will be honest, I had I'd never really heard of until I found this quote. Um, but the idea behind this belief, and this will really hit you hard as you think about uh, Aora, um, is where the body was believed to be governed by the soul a philosophy that guided the treatment of the mentally ill in the Middle Ages. And this is what his quote was. He says, it was believed that when someone acted in accordance with the church, it was because of their God-given soul. However, if they did not, it was believed something had happened to their soul. In addition, negative events were attributed to the devil, for example, whereas positive events were attributed to God. And as a result of these beliefs, it's not surprising any mental abnormality uh, believed to be resulting from demonic possession was considered logical. Um, and I thought these were interesting because it shows at his core that um, their group and himself is not a particularly, uh, they don't develop worlds uh, just by writing on a whiteboard. They obviously did a lot of reading and a lot of studying um, when they were developing Pillars 1 and this this whole philosophy behind it. Um, and then this belief in how, um, where the body is believed to be governed by the soul. You know, that whole concept really, I think, plays into the Pillars uh, pantheon. Um, so with that in mind, do those, do those particular quotes uh, strike anything in any of you, uh, knowing that he had a key in the development of the game? Uh, it should be noted that... Oh, no, scratch it, never mind. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, the thing which he talks about in of, of the medieval times really shows uh, in Pillars uh, the, the, the fact that the importance of soul is emphasized and you actually can get, can get it damaged or have some kind of a soul malady and, and you have those past lives that matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the fact that Josh is obviously a non-believer, um, I mean, as some would call it, or, or an atheist is another way to say it, um, uh, plays into his view of religion a little bit. Um, but in his defense, I don't feel like that, uh, I don't know, I, I don't feel like his, I don't feel like that's so prominent in Pillars that he is trying to uh, put too much of a taint on belief in general in any sort of God. I mean, and before I guess we get into that discussion, because that's a big controversy online, um, is we should just do like a little lesson in what is religion in Aora and what, who are the gods and how did this all come to be? Um, and I'm going to let you guys kind of take the lead if you want to start 
schooling somebody who maybe hasn't played the games and isn't going to play the games, but wants to have a refresher uh, before they jump into Avowed. Um, so does anybody want to give us kind of a, a generalization of uh, speaking of Inguithans and, and the different gods? Does anybody want to jump in? Yeah, I'll give it a go. So the first thing then that is important to understand about Eora and the gods is that the soul is, is real. It is a measurable quantity that, that you, can, you can measure it and you can do science upon it. It, it is a thing you can work with. Um, and this is important because you can study it and you can refine your, your understanding of it. And back in the day, for a long, long time ago, there was a culture named the Inquisitors who did just that. And they got really, really good at it. Um, and they, they looked around the world and they saw a world in chaos, a world that was, at least as far as we're concerned, this is concerned, caused chaos by religious fanaticism, by wars, by strife between different religions and religions that asked to their adherents to do horrible, horrible things. So they thought, well, we could make a better world if we could only figure out who exactly were the real gods and worship them and bring this knowledge to the world. And they looked and they looked as an, as a, and they made this a, a central project of, of their culture. And eventually they came to the conclusion that if there had been any gods, they had left no trace and were now gone or there hadn't been any at all. And that kind of threw them for a loop because as far as we as we get, they, they, they as a culture didn't really have, you know, um, well, I mean, they, they were, there were two problems with this from their standpoint. One was of course that they perhaps thought that, well, then why does things exist? What is the underlying meaning of existence? Is it all just you know, random stuff happening? And secondly, oh no, what if everyone else learned this? That there is uh, no hand on the moral universal tiller. That thing you can do whatever you want, and then once you die, metaphysics just takes over and you are reincarnated. So they did embark on a project that to correct this grave mistake of the universe, and eventually figured out how to manufacture gods. And so they did, an entire pantheon of them. Right, and this this technology um, is kind of the mastering of animancy. They, in these machines, which you see at the beginning of Pillars 1, actually, um, where they would harness the souls of thousands of people to kind of create these fabricated gods, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They made themselves gods. Right. Good. Yeah. And then so after that, we basically have uh, and this is kind of digging into the story a little bit. Um, this particular character, Theos, who is, uh, for all intensive purposes, this last surviving in Gwythin, um, and uh, partners kind of well, partners isn't the word works with the goddess Wodica uh, and uh, to try to develop this incredible control over the souls. Um, and what is his uh, does anybody want to speak to what his um, motivation is? 
I have the quote right here. What is a god? Hmm? A higher power, a rewarder of good deeds, and a punisher of the wicked. Something men can turn to in the darkest hour moments, when the days seem only like bridges from one tragedy to the next. Our gods are all these things. Nice. <laughs> I like uh, that quote. Very good. And you were going to say something. Um, yeah, you... yeah. Yes, I was going to say that uh, his his main purpose uh, was to act as like this kind of a big spy master, making sure that uh, the secret of, of the gods or, or the origin is never uh, discovered. So they would uh, sabotage all the uh, progress to animancy that they could. I think that, um, and this is not a fair parallel, but in a way, I think Theos is kind of like Thanos from the Marvel Universe in that um, they give Theos a, uh, a, a, legitimate, a legitimate concern and a legitimate cause. I mean, this is not some, I mean, you can argue with me and that, and that, and I want you to, if you disagree, but he's not really a crazy crackpot, right? He's, yes. he has, he has this belief. He has a real belief that um, things will devolve into chaos and barbarism, right? Yeah. If, if yes. they question the gods. Yeah. The, I it, mean, Theos, if I like, he, uh, yeah, he follows a lot like the theory, the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, right? Like it's almost like he even wrote it. The idea that, like, if religion or the gods disappeared, that mankind aren't beholden to anybody to behave well. So, what's to stop them from just doing what they want and acting like barbarians? Yeah, I think the existence of society, uh, they um, they had this when they had the revelation that there's nothing out there. They had a, a society-wide existential dread. And which they sought to correct and make sure that no one else will have have that thing. They wanted others to have a world with purpose. I mean, in it, and in, I'm just being devil's advocate. It almost makes you sympathize with his plight a little bit, in a way, and that maybe he's going about it the wrong way, but his intentions maybe are okay. Theus did nothing wrong. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, and, and, and to go back to my Marvel uh, analogy, you know, Thanos, a lot of people when they, they realized what his motivation was, is that, you know, he, he believed the world was becoming too crowded, basically, and that overpopulation was a problem. And we were going to drive ourselves to uh, elimination, you know, uh, to total catastrophic uh, demise, and that the only way to solve this problem was get rid of half the people. and um, so if you were to watch those series in ways in in a way you could take his side and say yeah you know he's not so bad um so then we we were talking about the inguithans i'm curious does anyone have a feeling about them and what they did and how uh are they do you feel that they are portrayed um as the heroes um well i think that the the, the whole thing Kind of returning to Josh Sawyer's, you know, atheism. I think that the whole thing is a metaphor for uh, actual atheism in, in the sense that, um, that um, you know, pe people make gods, you know, 
pe- people are who who you know who produce gods like and of course in the real world you know it's our way to try and make sense of the world but then in pillars of eternity uh it actually happened like people uh, actually became the embodiment of gods not only uh in mind but this time you know thanks to uh the soul mechanic also basically in body as well and therefore you know they could completely embody uh the things and, and so that's why i, I think anguithan's symbol um this kind of uh, metaphor if if you can say that that you know um the gods are our own creations basically and do you feel that the game is saying or the world is saying of Aora, do you feel that it's saying and and you can spoilers here okay do you feel it's saying that that gods are necessary that this even though this is a fabrication that it's necessary um i think that th- that's why there are um the the dialogue choices with uh, ivara ivara i don't know if i pronounce it well at the end um where basically you can decide for yourself um if um if 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 you you feel like gods are necessary or not in order to you know maintain social stability or you know in order for people to believe in something you 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 definitely have the dialogue options uh to say that i feel i feel like i am you know my the maker of my own happiness basically you know stuff like that and i i don't need a uh an other power to a higher power to to um to to tell me to behave well because uh i just know that if i behave well then others will hopefully behave well as well and as a community we can you know all behave well and then it's all it's good for everyone um i think the danger um, i i think that we, the the dialogue choice is definitely give you um give you room to work with and uh, th- there's no clear uh, message in the in the game itself regarding regarding this the this question uh gingerino you were you said something there yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt um i, I would think the danger like that Theos would say, if you know, if we could talk to him, is uh, like Lazar, you said, you know, if if you do good things, and hopefully the community around you will also do good things. I think Theos would try to argue that, well, if you are going to do bad things, then other people are going to do bad things, and so what's to stop people from just continuing that onwards, right? That's what I, why I think what he thinks is necessary, in at least by the game's narrative. Yeah, definitely, I'm uh, on. I'm not saying that you know Theos is wrong. I'm not saying that it's just uh, you know that, that you know the game because you know Sora's question was if you know if the game uh, itself uh, tries to convey a message uh, about this question, and and I think that the the you know different as I said before the different dialogue options are there for you, so, so you can decide. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they made. The way they made this whole pantheon and the backstory is a, is a really like a kindled the fire that 
is in the forums. I actually haven't checked what the discussion in the forums is about this whole thing, but I think this is a pretty clever move by Sawyer and the others to uh, have some, this kind of a balanced solution. The first of all is that, uh, that you actually didn't have any deities, but then they made the equivalents made them uh, for a purpose and and then they actually existed yes they were manufactured but they do exist and they have a real um, impact on the world so you have this balanced solution of uh, the people who don't like the idea or who like the idea and I, uh, um, I think the pillars is one of those games uh, where it's uh, kind of a for lack of a better term, illogical to have the, the token atheist characters in a mythical setting, uh, other than those those people who know the origin of the gods. And I think, um, and just like you were saying before, the Ingwithans kind of decided to study the gods and find out the real truth. Um, I think that if you were like arguing with Theos in a court of law, I think you'd be in trouble because... I think that um, he has a really good case, not that I want to spend too much time on it, but, you know, all he has to do is look back at the world long ago before the Ingwithans brought kind of semi-order um, to the chaos. And there was barbaric tribes. This is what um, Parenthesis was talking about. There was kind of barbaric tribes and uh, they believed in all sorts of things beforehand. And that brought about chaos and war. When it comes to the world of Eora as presented in the games, it is hard for me to say that it's a world that necessarily needs gods to be held uh, in check. It, it, to me, it feels often like a world that it, it does not feel like even a, a Renaissance world where pe people make arguments, by, uh, moral arguments by pointing to a religion. It, it feels, I wouldn't say secular in any way, but it just feels like the gods are down in territory importance behind nationality and and perhaps political ideology so i mean if you go look in that, that's patently false if you go look in the backstory like with red saris and uh the saints war or, or other things like that but in, in the world where you play it does not seem like religion um has a, a, a at least to me a large societal uh, importance uh, and as, as a framework holds everything together that that may be a point uh, of the games but it could also be uh, one of its failures that it, it fails to communicate it because it seems like a not secular society but but a society that uh, is not are not bound by religion to the same extent that say early modern or, or renaissance europe was i was thinking that I, I got the different impression on the games that actually many of the societies have a, their a choice of uh, the pantheon which they worship and uh, if you pay attention it's, it's very clear that uh, what kind of uh, uh, impact they have uh, on the society but you're right in in the fact that it's not overwhelming or, or obvious uh, that they don't uh, there's a thing about the pantheon that they don't actually say what is morally good or bad. There are some deities that are anathema, almost anathema to each other. 
so so you there's no the objective right or wrong but there's a thing that you might want to like like the paladin orders you want to uh emphasize some uh, aspects of life other than others yeah i um i would i would found i would tell you i would say if you're really interested in that in that whole argument that kind of has erupted and is still kind of you can see it flaking throughout different forums everywhere um there's a good article uh online and you can search for it um it's called uh, are you there god it's me pillars um and uh very cleverly written but i do think the author has a bit of a more of a religious bent uh if you read through it but this is a question uh that they posed um and i will pose to you guys and and feel free to you know say your opinions or your own beliefs about it but this is what uh part of the article says it says uh, here's where the real world debate has developed over an end game story that's mimicking real world debates it's if the gods were created does that make them any less gods does this really even qualify as atheism after all if these god constructs made from souls are immensely powerful and have thoughts and feelings and can inter interact with humanity and clearly have these spheres of influence over specific segments of reality then what's really the difference even if they are fake gods they're gods right <laughs> so um, I like I like to think of the gods as, as I call them synthetic gods, just to have a shorthand. But I mean, there, there are multiple dimensions to look at this. I mean, they obviously exist. They, the ones really do. They have they have immense power. But there's also the question of, but what is their? I mean, and there's the, the quote by Theos earlier. I mean, but what is their right to to intervene in the way they do? Yeah, do they have the right because they have the right? Well, well, okay, for that that can empower any despot. That's that we don't derive the power from the people. Insert Monty Python quote here, and and they don't. And most of them, frankly, seem to have several aspects of them that are assholeish. So, so the question is, what is where does their mandate derive from? Is it just from the power because? That is, is just coercion then. Okay, so, so they may be gods and they're coercive gods. They didn't create the world, they were created afterwards. So they, if you don't hold any kind of fealty to them, you shouldn't be grateful on that account. I mean, Barath takes care of the wheel to ensure reincarnation. So that might be a good reason, I guess. The rest of them, not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't know if you like, if the question is, is are the Pantheon and Aeora still gods, considering that they were created. I think that the answer to that question kind of betrays what uh, a person's attitude might be towards deification in general. Like the idea that this created being uh, should be considered a god in the typical sense that it's, you know, in charge of morality or that it deserves fealty and loyalty, you know, does that also mean that if a person like if a regular kith from Eora, like a human or an Amauan, can achieve that level of power that they have the right to therefore say the same things about where they rule with their power and as as well i mean i i guess it depends on what you would define a god as because i mean mm -hmm. if these ones can be made then they can also be destroyed yeah. but i would argue that if for a god to be a god you couldn't really destroy them 
at least from um, a mundane yeah. perspective. I think you can search for analogs from other games like like Elder Scrolls, where you had the apotheosis of the um, uh, the the one human in Skyrim. What was his name? Talos. 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 Yes. Yeah. Talos. And whether you believe the uh, empire before the corrupt actor, you believe the elves. Uh, uh, some people call him deity, and some others don't. Uh, it of it's a it's a matter of definition. If you like, some people say that it's enough that it's like really, really, really powerful and worshipped, or has a sphere of influence. I think it's an interesting debate and I, and I know that it that and this is not speaking for myself but I know that there's some people who reached the end of the game um and this is their words not mine felt betrayed by the way that religion was um portrayed in the game and that felt that um them most of these being very religious people who felt this way felt that you know uh, I I bought into this and you now you're telling you're basically looking at me and telling me I'm a fool and I don't like that. And so I think that has stirred up some uh, that you can find if you just search online. But moving away from that, like we could talk about that forever, I'm sure. Um, but uh, I wanted to kind of move more towards what uh, in a traditional sense, the gods of Eora uh, basically um, represent. So does anybody want to take a stab at, at the Pantheon and, and kind of give us a rundown of of some of the gods and, and how they are crafted to represent different things in the world? The Pantheon of Aeora that exists because of the apotheosis project of the Inguithans, if I remember correctly, I don't have all the literature in front of me, they're essentially the manifestations. They're the deities of certain ideals from the Anguithan cultures. So when all the people of Anguith were essentially sacrificed to create these gods, the ideals of their culture created these 11 deities, which represent different ideals within their society. And so these deities are driven to kind of live out these ideals as part of their existence. Um, good example of that is there's one deity called Abidon, or Abidon, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, God of crafting, the forge, and uh, discovery as well, I believe. Um, yeah. Oh, and um, oh, I'm trying to remember what the word is. It likes to keep things the way they are. There's a word for it. <laughs> Conservatism? Yeah, something like that. Um, he has not. Yeah, preservation. He has that yeah. ideal in his domain. And so in the history of Eora, one of the other gods, Andra, goddess of water and the moon and forgetfulness and all that, she takes one of the moons of Aeora to throw it down and destroy the Anguithan culture, which is something we can get into <laughs> long down the road. But Abidun, being someone who is driven by preservation, in a sense, he goes and puts himself between this moon and the Anguith culture. And I think it's because he has that ideal of preservation in him that drove him to do those things. And all the gods kind of have that same thing. So we have basically this this uh, group of, uh, and, and this is boiling it down, I think, and again, correct me, but I think to the most basic things where you have 
um, like the goddess of, of fire and war, uh, the goddess of the birds in the sky. You have um, the, uh, the god of the hunt was one of them. That was G Galloway, I think, um, and uh, god of dreams. So these gods, you know, like we were saying before, kind of um, very specific and then what they're representing in the world and attributed to. Um, and you can uh, uh, pay allegiance to one of these gods as a kith, you, or you can, even though you pay allegiance to one, that doesn't mean that you're not aligned with others. Is that, does that make sense with what I'm saying? Does anybody want to elaborate on that? Like if you're following a god in the world, um, it's not as you might think of in the world we live in right now, whereas, you know, I'm a Buddhist, I follow this god and that's it. Um, in Aora, it's a little different, right? Yeah, like you could be a Magronite where you're following the goddess Magron, but then let's say that there's some superior officer that you have, you're harboring resentment towards and you're wanting to kind of get justice against them, then even though you're a Magronite, you still would pray to Skane because Skane is the god of secret, hate, secret hatred and resentment. So you can pray to all the gods, even if you swear fealty to just one of them. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, yeah, Kiwi. They, uh, yeah, the gods are like, like any of them are on in the direct, uh, like opposite of each other. Um, but they do have some like internal politics between them. As, uh, this comes clear in POE too, especially, but like... Mm, there are like some factions like this, the gods that are with Vodica, like uh, like somewhat against Kith in POE2, and then there are some that are for Kith. And then there's uh, Rim Grand, just, who's just like, uh, I, I don't care, I just want everything to end. And in a way, uh, I think that, and again, that the the citizens or the, the, the Kith or whoever are, are motivated in a, by karma a little bit, maybe? Would we argue that? And that their religious worship is kind of tailored in a very self-interest way? Whereas, you know, if you're, you're worshiping a god of, of, of storms for a certain reason, right? Yeah, like uh, they do have a real world uh, impact. And uh, as you can see from POE2, start you can end the game pretty quickly if you don't do as Berath tells you and she can choose what kind of life you get on the next cycle right so yeah you it's end good, up it's a good point maybe maybe that's the difference between the real world because you know in in the real world if you uh if you i don't know if if, if you're a buddhist or i don't know and and you then suddenly you turn to, like, like you have no reason to suddenly turn to uh, Christianity or I don't know, because there are no real world consequences of you starting to, you know, worship Jesus. But, you know, for example, Hiravius or Hiravius, I don't know how it's pronounced, like he, I think he worshipped uh, Galloway, but then just, you know, started uh, turning towards Wild because he needed um he he, he kind of needed knowledge uh, in order to you know decide who he is so um 
so um like a god actively could help him out which is of course not the not the case in the real world and i think that's why the world of yora people tend to dart all over the place uh you know um based on what based on their needs basically oh you get reputation minuses and pluses in real world right <laughs> and i think in a way for someone who hasn't played the game or who's looking for a parallel i mean and this is this is a stretch but you know if you think of roman and greek gods and and how they were used uh to you know f- farmers would worship a particular god for different reasons you know the god of war if somebody was invading your lands or the god of of rain and storms because you need your crops to grow or um it, it, it makes it sound very uh shallow but and i don't mean to make it sound that way but it is there's a, a tad bit of uh uh who am i going to worship today and for what reason even though they do pledge allegiance to maybe one uh, yeah. in particular it's got a utilitarian feel to it. Like I'm just whatever will serve what I my interests at this point in time. That's who I'm going to worship today. So I wanted to uh, jump into uh, real quick um, something else that I, that I'd seen discussed online, and that is um, in world building and in religion. Um, how well does magic play with that? Like. Uh, magic in, in our in our modern society, you know, is seen as this almost uh, cultist sometimes, or this 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 thing off to the side, you know. Oh, they're a real world witch, you know. They're they don't know what they're talking about or whatever. They're 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 shunned still in our society now, and but in these games they coexist. And um, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that's represented well in Pillars of Eternity and how? uh magic and religion coexist yeah i think in this world they do a good job because of the introduction of animancy like uh, in in our real world a lot of times people will say they'll have negative views on the idea of magic either because they just think it doesn't exist and people are stupid or because they think it's real and they're scared of what it might bring and in these fantasy worlds magic is so real that people aren't afraid of it so they coexist well but then in aora we have animancy which is kind of in between the two like magic is well known people accept it and it's kind of all over the place but animancy specifically is still a little unknown to most people and that's why it's got such tension i think it has well animancy is is in and of itself uh uh magic mixed with technology right i mean it's Essentially, they are not uh, quacks. These are scientists that have are studying souls, and and um, animancy is only possible through technology, pretty much, right? Yeah, the the magic in pillars is explained that the uh, certain individuals can uh, draw power from their soul. Their soul is uh, more powerful than the others, and in a way, the the power of the soul, which is also which uh, gives gods their power, so it's the same power basically. So that's where the magic comes from, but it's not 
elaborated so much it's just they they just say that you get the magic or the power from your from the soul and it's not the magic system in that way is not so much thought through and maybe it doesn't need to be yeah i mean I, and i don't know that it necessarily has a direct impact on on the gods in the game i think that like um uh gingerino said they're they're kind of neatly kept se separate or kind of separate but then there's there's a connective tissue between them um and we kind of accept that for for what it is um so we we talked a little bit about some of the the way that religion is portrayed in the game we we mentioned a few of the of the gods from the pantheon and how how they're represented um i wanted to kind of steer a little bit because this is related to religion in a way um and how people how do you how is death portrayed in um in relation to the game does anybody want to touch on that real quick so for people who haven't played the game or are coming to avowed and and i'm assuming this 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 uh part of the world will transfer into it um possibly um how how is death portrayed uh, it's it has the same kind of cyclical thing that you have like in uh, hinduism that you will reincarnate to another body uh but nevertheless if you die in game it's game over yeah. <laughs> absolutely it's kind of that that um the the soul the bodies of the vessel uh goes back to that quote maybe from uh that we were talking about at the beginning when josh was talking about the religion of how it's the vessel and the soul is the dominant force and it's it encompasses that but then can uh be reincarnated um but it can also be uh interrupted and necromancy and we don't even want to get into that that's a whole nother podcast but um i feel like we've touched on religion pretty well does anybody have any else thing else they want to add to the religion discussion before we we move into uh emails from our fans um i i'd like to say that when i said about the, you you dying is the end of the game but the one time your character actually dies it it's the prelude to pillars of eternity too exactly good point anyone else yeah uh, as, as touched upon before uh, i think there's an interesting um, relation between animancers in the game and uh, physicians or the specific the medical revolutions that were in in, in the renaissance in our world but they have kind of the same role they're both distrusted by religious authorities who believe they are overstepping their bounds and missing in god or the god's domain there's you know sort of people who don't even really know what they're doing but they are learning their way but yeah they also have disastrous consequences because they're not really entirely sure what they're doing all the time maybe sectionists yeah, that's a good point because they they really definitely have that kind of adversarial uh, a feel to them, and that they're they're stretching, they're they're going into areas where maybe some people don't want them to go. Um, so we do have uh, uh, some emails, and if you guys don't mind uh, jumping in, uh, we, I've gotten a couple, actually quite a few, but a lot of the emails uh, were some questions we've already answered before, um, and I wanted to before we ended today give these people some of their let me bring up my email here um so 
Uh, first question is from someone named Shannon. Shannon, thanks for sending us your question. Um, and the question is, would you guys be in favor of a Pillars of Eternity 1 reboot? And she says, I feel like the game deserves a fresh coat of paint with modernization for the user interface, combat mechanics, optimized load times, animations, and graphics. Or what about a reissue of both games into one larger game? Any thoughts on that? Um, so uh, recently, uh, Sawyer was actually asked about the, the prospects of uh, remaking uh, Pillars 1 into in the Deadfire engine, and his response was that the numbers weren't looking good. Um, simply put, the, the, the art pipeline and all the other things uh, were simply too costly. But, I mean, I certainly wouldn't <laughs> sneer at a... A remastered version of it that ran in the Deadfire or even better engine than than Deadfire. Anyone else have feelings about that? Yes, I actually like I actually like Boe One as it is. It it's still it was it was part of the revival of the genre. Like uh, it has a lot of the aspects of the old CRPGs, which made me like it. A lot, and the game is only six years old, so modernization at this point is maybe a little bit too early. But that's my opinion. Yeah, I think um, I would, I would, I would welcome it, but with some caution because I feel uh, like what Kivi said that um, uh, when you're trying to iron out the wrinkles, sometimes you come out with a totally different outfit. If that makes any sense, um, but I mean. It, I think the main reason they would do it would be for for money or to bring more people into the uh, the story um, because I know that as I've mentioned before that that first one even though it's a fantastic game has really been a struggle for some people to get into because it is so different and because it, it's 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 a little bit uh, clunky is not the word but it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, than some of maybe the modern games that that make things more attainable and easy. Um, uh, this one is from Old Goat, somebody named Old Goat, who I assume is old. Um, but they are saying, uh, I'm trying to get my wife to play Pillars of Eternity 2, <laughs> but she doesn't like hard games. Is Barbarian Paladin the best race class combo for a beginner that prefers story over challenge? Uh, um, as as someone who started Pillars of Eternity, Pillars of Eternity was my breakthrough into this CRPG genre. And I know you guys have had discussions on previous episodes about the the difficulty slider and whether or not it should be there. But uh, I am very thankful for story mode because I was absolute. I was really bad at this game when it first came out. Um, I would say that like if your wife is actually. Uh, old goat if your wife is really actually willing to give it a shot honestly if you put it in story mode whatever build you get it's you're going to be able to get through it they they balanced it really well in story mode that you can get through no matter how you really build your character do you mean poe one or two um my experience poe one and two uh on story mode or and even easy mode it's it's really it's you, you can't make a build that won't get to the end of the game if you try yeah. hard enough. Whereas in like harder Path of the Damned, if you if you make a wrong choice when you level up, it could it could really screw you over. So yeah. I would say let her pick what she's interested in, and kind of just go from there. It's, yeah, or, those yeah. easier modes she'll be 
able to get through. Or you can you can go POE one story mode and uh, pick a death god like barbarian and rank that intellect to a maximum and enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say just just you know avoid you know advanced mechanism uh, mechanics like you know the cipher and stuff like that. And uh, there's um, just. Oh, you're not. You're probably not playing Pillars of Eternity two on the Switch, but just uh, popped in my head. Uh, don't rely on ranged combat because there's still a glitch on the Switch with uh, ranged combat being an issue. So um, that's for Pillars of Eternity one, though. Um, multi, multi toast. It did. They yeah. No, go ahead. I think I know what you're gonna say. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say just get it for PC and turn God mode on with console commands, but you know. Oh no, absolutely. Um, old goat didn't mention what platform, so I'm not really sure. Um, uh, but PC would be preferred in my opinion, um, especially for a new player, because uh, the clunky c- controls on the Xbox even are, I feel like, are a little bit more challenging than the PC makes it a little bit easier to slide into. Um, the last email we have is from a user called Moldy Toast. Um, I love that name, by the way. Um, and the question is, do you think Obsidian should avoid making the player in the game the quote-unquote chosen one uh, in Avowed to prevent prescriptive narratives and avoid comparison to Skyrim and other games that choose that path? So I guess what Moldy Toast is saying is, should Obsidian try to avoid uh, the story of you being the chosen one and then i guess the argument i would make is isn't the watcher the chosen one kind of or not well the whole the whole story of poe one revolves around you being watcher and uh trying to find out why right um and i and i know in skyrim since he mentioned skyrim uh in the question the the idea of the dragon and you're the you're the everybody in the story is like oh you're the one you you can do it do we, do you guys have feelings about that do you like that in games feeling like you're you're the key or do you prefer to be more ambivalent i it's not the plan but how you execute it like you can make a short story around like some uh, empty slate character but again if you have uh, some kind of backstory or a, a chosen one, then it's uh, easier to make a cohesive plot. Yeah, I think... Go ahead, Gingera. Oh, sorry. Gingerino. Uh, I kind of like in Pillars, like, you are, you know, quote-unquote, the chosen one. Like, you have these amazing abilities that not a lot of people have, but they really cater the story's narrative to the problems that only you experience because of that. You know, so uh, if they are going to make you the chosen one, they kind of have to up the ante in terms of what it is your character is going to experience and what they would view as a problem. I don't know. I'm kind of ambivalent to which one I would prefer for it about, to be honest. Yeah, I think um, I would want them to take chances. I know that Josh Sawyer, even though he's not really affiliated with the Valid anymore, um, I know that 
that whole idea and concept of the company is to take chances, which um, I think they've shown that they do. I mean, obviously with the, what was the one that they're tinkering with now that's not officially released, the one about the, you're in a garden and... Grounded. Grounded, yes. So that's definitely taking chances. I mean, um, but it has been successful for them. I would hope that in Avowed, they would push the envelope a little bit more and not make the story be so simplistic. And I think that's what Moldy Toast is getting to is that wouldn't it be disappointing if if the story was just, oh, you're the savior. Yay, you saved the day. Good job. Game over. You know, that would be well, kind of empty. It, it, yeah, yeah, that would be an empty uh, game. But in games, unless you're playing an art house game, you are often the most or you become the most important character for this scenario you're playing. That's 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 because you want to you want the player to experience interesting things. So the, the question is is really if if you say if the game is oh oh you you are the chosen one you have you have you start up the game as the chosen one and you go through the game as the chosen one. No, that would be an extremely boring game. But if if you become the chosen one through your actions. And, and your abilities, then then that is a far more interesting tale. So, okay, where 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 do we put this, the the where is where do we go from a person who, who achieves greatness to a person who is, who has greatness thrust upon them? Like I think the the one the moldy toast has a interesting like there's something that I came up with now that what if in Poe one you actually had more uh, plot lines that you could uh, re like discover or like choose that what of what if instead of fighting against theos you would be uh, allying with him i love that <laughs> yeah i love that i mean not to bash the game at all because we're all fans of it, but i think that's really cool i mean you're just it's what they're all about right i mean that's what about yeah. the choice and consequences of choice. So if it's in, I'd play that for sure. I'd, and I would probably side with him. <laughs> so I'm a horrible person, but I would. <laughs> okay. um, so those are the questions we uh, keep sending emails to us. If you guys are listeners and you're interested in throwing a question out to the panel of people who are on, we're at the email address is avowedcast at gmail.com so feel feel free to shoot us uh, an email and any other positive praise that you want to throw our way we will accept that as well um and we appreciate you guys listening but before we head out i want to give everybody a chance if, if any of you guys are on active on twitch or social media and you want to give a shout out um feel free right now to jump in and, and tell us where people can find you um, I'm mostly active on Reddit right now, a uh, username Gingerino. Uh, been posting a lot of lore on Reddit, but I've kind of got a project in pre-production right now. So if you pay attention on uh, the subreddit for Avowed, I'll probably do some announcements there. Or you can follow me on Twitter at World of Aora. I'm kind of got a, a lore podcast about Avowed and Pillars of Eternity in the works. It's mostly yes. just going to be dry readings of. No, don't don't downplay it, dude. That's awesome. I'm oh, excited. Yeah. Like, Thank how you. far in pre-production are you? Like, are you going to be posting soon? Like on a on a podcast network or? 
how soon do you think we could listen? Well, I got the hardware and software now, so I can actually do that. That was the first step. Um, but next will be re uh, refining some recordings, making sure everything sounds good. And I do want to put out some feelers into the community to see what the reception would be. Because I don't want to, you know, have a part-time job essentially doing this uh, to find out that you know people don't really want it. So I'll be doing putting some feelers out quick, but hoping by the end of the month I can get something going. The account for Avowedcast is on social media, and you can find us there. Um, we are um, at Avowedcast is our Twitter, and um, you can also go to our website, which is really just a static website, but we don't do too much updating to it. But you can find links to the podcast and some of the episodes at avowedcast.com if you're interested in that. Um, and that'll be it for today. I want to thank everybody who joined me today. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate your input. I think we tackled a tough topic and we did it in a good way. And uh, again, everybody who's listening, our hope is to put these out every couple of weeks uh, or at least one a month and just uh, stay subscribed so you can hear our next entry. This just has me thinking about Isselmir and the questionable state of my own soul. But I suppose there's nothing more to be done at the moment, is there? I should let you rest. It looks like we'll have another full day tomorrow. Well, that ends our podcast today. Thank you again for listening to Avowedcast. Just want to remind everyone, uh, in addition to the email address I gave out earlier, avowedcast at gmail.com, if you're interested, you can certainly call our voice line and leave a voice message, uh, a question or a statement, and we can put that on the next podcast for you. The phone number for that uh, is area code 202 8104223 if you're interested in that or of course you can tweet us at avowedcast um, thanks again uh, appreciate you coming and joining us while we talk about religion today we're going to leave you as we always leave you with the musical genius of justin bell so again close your eyes and relax and enjoy the music <laughs>